Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Friday, April 24th, and uh, oh man, uh, I haven't slept at all. <laughs> it's uh, 6, 6, 16 in the morning, and uh, last night the NFL draft ended. I got to work immediately. We have 27 roughly topics to talk about today. It's insane. We have, it's a massive show, very long. We're going to touch on basically every single team that drafted a player yesterday in the NFL draft. Um, look, man, I... I gotta say this first. Like, I I have no idea how long this is gonna be. At some point, I'm probably gonna need to take a break to rest my voice because I got a lot of crap to say. It's gonna take forever. I had a big like snack before I recorded. I feel like a I feel like a belch coming on. It's not great. Uh, like a like a mammoth. Like oh man, it's I have some acid reflux. It's not great. Um, but I I just want to say this before we do anything else. Round one of the NFL draft was glorious. It just was everything I've wanted for weeks. It's been. How long? I don't know. A month since we had sports, and I, I have missed sports so much. And it's not just like yesterday wasn't a game. There wasn't like, there was no touchdowns thrown. There were no baskets made. There were no home runs. But sitting on the couch next to my dad, taking notes, we had chili and spaghetti and cheese, my favorite meal, and there was this air of excitement because I, for the first time in so long, when I'm watching something, I didn't know what was going to happen. I knew it was live. It was an event. And I, oh my gosh, I've missed that feeling so much. I mean, the NFL draft really was everything I've wanted for a long time. Now, um, we have to start today with this, though. This is probably the most surprising move that happened yesterday in round one of the 2020 NFL draft was the Green Bay Packers drafting a quarterback, Jordan Love out of Utah State. Uh, Now, one of my favorite human beings on planet Earth is a guy named Tom Grassi. Uh, I've been to his house. He runs the Packers podcast, Packcast. Look up Tom Grassi on YouTube. Um, he's a world-class human being. I consider him one of my like good friends. I love the dude, and I, I'll give him a hug and tell him that. Um, I called him last night. I called into his live stream. He was live streaming the NFL draft. And when I did that, I learned how furious Green Bay Packers fans are about this pick. Now, not necessarily Tom, but a lot of his fans were commenting on his live stream, just angry and upset, not like just furious that their team would draft a quarterback when they have Aaron Rodgers. Now, here is exactly why. I'll be very precise and very clear. This is why Green Bay Packers fans are furious. The Packers already have a quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. He's a future Hall of Famer. It's undeniable. It's, he, he's incredible. At least he has. He's had an incredible career. And the Packers made the playoffs last year. In fact, they lost in the NFC Championship game to the 49ers. And when you compare what the Packers did to other teams that also have quarterbacks destined for the Hall of Fame, look at the New Orleans Saints. They drafted an offensive lineman. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers drafted Tom Brady, an offensive lineman. Drew Brees got a lineman. Tom Brady got a lineman. Those two teams drafted players that helped their team win next year. Meanwhile, oh, uh, the Green Bay Packers drafted a quarterback, Jordan Love. And they didn't just draft a quarterback. They moved up to go get a quarterback. Packers fans are furious. Some people say, man, they should have gotten a player who could help their team win next year. Many wanted Patrick Queen, the linebacker from LSU. Now, I want to address Packers fans that are, you know, I want to say this because I want to quote the quarterback Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers 
R-E-L-A-X. Please relax. It's all going to be okay. I want everybody to remember the 2005 NFL Draft. The Packers made the playoffs the year before. In 2004 with Brett Favre, the Packers made the playoffs. They had a future Hall of Fame quarterback, Brett Favre. And after making the playoffs, even though they had a future Hall of Fame quarterback, what did the Packers do in the first round of the NFL draft? Number 24 overall, they drafted Aaron Rodgers, a quarterback out of Cal. And at the time, in 2005, Packers fans were livid. They were furious. They could not accept, why would you do this? And those same people in 2005 who were livid and angry are the very same people today who are defending Aaron Rodgers and really furious that their team would draft another quarterback. The same people who hated Aaron Rodgers in 2005 and thought the Packers wasted a pick are the people who today own Aaron Rodgers' jerseys. Don't forget the past. History has repeated itself, and I am begging you, please, please learn from the past. I'm asking people, just remember what happened before. Jordan Love is a special talent. He's an incredible quarterback when it comes to talent and physical ability. Come talk to me in five years. Again, the same people who are furious today will likely be the same people in five years wearing a Jordan Love jersey. The Packers picked Jordan Love, number 26 overall. Now, they originally had the 30th overall pick, and they moved up. Now, Packers fans are like, why would you trade up? We get, even if you want to draft a quarterback, the Packers fans are furious. Why would you move up in the draft to go get a quarterback? Because if you look at who was there, they had the 26th overall pick, and well, they had the 30, excuse me, they had the 30th overall pick. They moved up to 26. There were three teams between 26 and 30. None of them needed a quarterback. It was the Dolphins were the 26th overall pick. They'd already drafted Tua. Then after them, it was the Ravens, the Seahawks, and the Titans. All of three of which have good quarterbacks with long-term contracts. So why would the Packers move up in the draft? Here's what you need to understand. The Packers gave up a fourth-round pick to move up four spots in the NFL draft. And they drafted their future franchise quarterback. To give up a fourth-round pick for a franchise quarterback is nothing. It's nothing. And I know people are like, well, they also gave up a first-round pick. <laughs> Listen, in five years from now, you're going to be so glad they spent a first-round pick. And, oh, no, a fourth-round pick that might not have even made the roster, literally to get Jordan Love a franchise quarterback. In the scheme of things, that fourth-round pick is nothing. And you move up four picks because the scary reality is if you wait, if you just say, we're going to stay at 30, if Jordan Love is there, we're going to take him, you might lose him. A team like the New Orleans Saints, a team like the New England Patriots, had the draft capital to move up and take him. And if he's your guy, if the Packers, which clearly they did, the Packers believe in Jordan Love. He's their guy. They're, they should not risk it. Another team could take him. If you really believe in him, go get him. Don't wait. It's not worth the risk. Again, especially if you love the guy. I watched the film. I watched every single game Jordan Love played in last year. I watched a bunch of his games from 2018 as well, two years ago. Jordan Love is incredibly, incredibly talented. I did a whole film analysis about him. You can go watch that. Jordan Love needs to sit and learn and develop. He's not ready to be an NFL starting quarterback, but man, he found the perfect place. He landed in the perfect spot to do exactly that. He can sit, 
He can learn behind Aaron Rodgers, learn from the best maybe in the NFL right now, and get better and become an incredible quarterback. I have compared Jordan Love to Patrick Mahomes, talent-wise. Both of them have a special ability to throw the ball and make throws that cannot be replicated. Nobody else can do some of the stuff Jordan Love can do, contorting his body, throwing the ball with literally his feet are pointed left. He throws the ball right into a perfect window, like 60 yards away. And you're like, how, how do you do that? It's impossible. You can't replicate that. Arm talent from Jordan Love is on a Patrick Mahomes level. It's literally that good. I want to remind people that a couple of years ago, the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback was Alex Smith. And they had just made the playoffs. And the Chiefs moved up in the draft to get Patrick Mahomes. And well, uh, that team, the team that had a quarterback, won the playoff, was in the playoffs, and then traded up to go get a quarterback in the first round, even though they already had one, that team just won the Super Bowl, and Patrick Mahomes was the Super Bowl MVP. Pay attention to history. And guess what? When the Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes, their fan base was furious. What? You wasted a first-round pick. We already have a quarterback. We made the playoffs. And he was really raw. Patrick Mahomes wasn't ready. He was not ready to be a starter. He needed to sit. He needed to learn. Again, look how that worked out. Packers fans, I'm begging you. Wake up. Have some vision. Understand there's a future here beyond Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is 37 years old. It's it, uh, 37? How old is he? Let me look it up. Aaron Rodgers' age is this. I don't know. I apologize for not being more prepared here. Aaron Rodgers' age. 36. Okay, excuse me. He'll be 37 by next year. Here's what the Packers did. When the Packers drafted Jordan Love, they sent a message to their organization. Number one, they said everybody's replaceable, even Aaron Rodgers. And everybody needs to earn their spot every single day. And I just, I want to say this again. I cannot believe People are not learning from the past. It's okay for Aaron Rodgers to be mad. But how is he going to treat Jordan Love? Because when Aaron Rodgers was drafted and had to sit behind Brett Favre, Brett Favre was not welcoming to Aaron Rodgers at all. Well, now that she was on the other foot, is Aaron Rodgers going to be the same jerk that Brett Favre was to him? I hope not. If Aaron Rodgers can do anything, he should learn from the past as well and do better than Brett Favre did to him. It's interesting. On the Pat McAfee show, I haven't listened to it. I I saw an Adam Schefter tweet. Aaron Rodgers apparently said that he would call whoever the Packers drafted. He'd call him and welcome him to their team. And then the Packers drafted Jordan Love. And it's like, ooh, you think that phone call actually took place? Because within an hour... Aaron Rodgers should have posted on social media, hey man, welcome to the Packers at Jordan Love. Reach out publicly, diffuse the whole situation, be the bigger man. Again, it's okay for Aaron Rodgers to be pissed. He can be mad at the organization. He can be furious that he didn't get help because Aaron Rodgers doesn't care about Jordan Love, nor should he. Aaron Rodgers is trying to win games and he wanted a better player, wanted an offensive lineman or a receiver or somebody to help him win games. And Jordan Love doesn't help Aaron Rodgers win games. He's got every right to be angry. I get it. But be angry at the organization, not Jordan Love. Jordan Love didn't choose to get drafted by the Packers. The Packers chose Jordan Love. Again, I want to repeat this one more time. I cannot believe that people aren't learning from the past. 
The Packers moved up in the draft to get an incredibly talented quarterback. And there are Packers fans just blindly defending Aaron Rodgers. And let's be honest about one thing. A couple times in the last couple years, Aaron Rodgers has been hurt. A couple years ago, he got hurt himself the rest of the year. And your year was over. You didn't have a backup. You weren't ready. Drafting Jordan Love was a great pick. A phenomenal, phenomenal move. Aaron Rodgers' days are numbered. And by the way, let me be clear. Jordan Love isn't ready. Jordan Love needs to sit. I've said that multiple times. I'll say it again. Jordan Love is not ready to be an NFL starting quarterback. He needs to sit for a year or two behind Aaron Rodgers. But his talent level is something you just can't get. You can't get that on the street just anywhere. And when Jordan Love inevitably struggles in the preseason, expect it. When Jordan Love has a game in the preseason where he throws like two interceptions and looks bad, don't attack him the minute you have a a, a, a little bit of ammo you can use to hate on Jordan Love. Be patient. He needs time. He needs to sit. He needs to develop. And if he does, he might be the best quarterback that was drafted in 2020. Literally, he's that good. You got to give him time. Patrick Mahomes needed time. Look where he is now. Jordan Love is very similar to Patrick Mahomes in that he needs to sit, learn, and be given time. And if he does, an incredibly special thing could happen. If five years from now, all those people who are furious are watching the Packers win a Super Bowl, they'd better apologize to Jordan Love. They're going to be wearing Jordan Love jerseys. Yeah, we love you, Jordan Love! Oh, remember when we were awful and mean because you, we, we drafted you and we already had Aaron Rodgers? Remember the past. Learn from it and have a little bit of vision. The Packers are building for the future. They're not stuck with Aaron Rodgers forever. Okay, before we dive into, really dive into the draft and go through each pick, I'm going to talk about every team, team by team. I want to share a couple of general takeaways from the NFL draft. Number one is this. I loved watching Roger Goodell go up there and they like pumped in. They had a fake. They had guys, people come on the screen and boo him because he was in his basement and he loved He goes, yeah, I can't hear your boos from my basement. And I, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was fun. It's pretty clear that Roger Goodell has a good sense of humor. I thought that was awesome. Uh, now, I also want to say this. I had a coach tell me once upon a time that a transferring quarterback was bad. Now, he was a hypocrite because his starting quarterback was actually a quarterback who had transferred into his school and was on his third college. So clearly that guy was an idiot. If he hated transfer quarterbacks, but also his starting quarterback was a transfer quarterback, he's a total hypocrite. But to make my point even further, three years in a row now, the number one overall pick was a quarterback who transferred in college. Baker Mayfield transferred to Oklahoma. Kyler Murray transferred to Oklahoma. Jill Burrow transferred to LSU. Transferring quarterbacks is not necessarily inherently a bad thing. If anyone ever tells you, that transferring quarterbacks is inherently a bad thing, they're stupid. It's a case-by-case thing. There are some situations where you shouldn't transfer. I get it. But to criticize someone for transferring from a program to go somewhere else to give themselves a better situation is not inherently wrong. You got to have a little bit more of an open mind. And clearly, transfer quarterbacks aren't the worst thing in the world. The three years in a row, the number one overall pick in the NFL draft was a quarterback who transferred in college. Uh, suck it to that old coach. Uh, now, number two. <laughs> I'm not I'm only a little bit bitter. Uh, the New Orleans Saints and the Buccaneers both got offensive linemen for their future Hall of Fame quarterbacks. The Buccaneers got Tristan Wirfs to help Tom Brady. And the Saints picked Cesar Ruiz to help Drew Brees. And it's never been more apparent than right now today 
that the NFL is a passing league and running back value is at an all-time low. Derrick Henry, the guy who led the NFL last year in rushing, dominated for the Tennessee Titans. He didn't get a new contract this offseason. He was up for a new contract, and his team franchise tagged him. He's only 26. Rather than paying him, they franchise tagged him. And he's very recently 26. He's not, he's not going to be 27 next year. He'll be 26 going into next year. And there was only one running back drafted in the entire first round of the 2020 NFL Draft. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, an incredible running back. Um, he was a steal by the Kansas City Chiefs. They got him number 32 overall. But again, running back value is at an all-time low. There were four quarterbacks taken in the first round of the 2020 NFL Draft. Four. Six offensive tackles to protect those quarterbacks. Seven total offensive linemen. There were six receivers drafted to catch passes. And six corners drafted to stop those receivers from catching the ball. Again, running back value is at an all-time low. And the other takeaway from last night is that finally, 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 NFL teams are realizing how important it is to draft offensive linemen to protect your quarterback. By the way, except for the Seattle Seahawks, they drafted some linebacker who's had injury problems. Russell Wilson still needs help on the offensive line. But I tackle after tackle after tackle. NFL teams took six offensive tackles last night, seven total offensive linemen in the first round. That's a statement. I love that. Now, another thing I want to talk about. Yeah, you know, people, I talked about how Roger Goodell didn't get booed. I want to just say I think it's interesting that Roger Goodell, you know, he they had that moment where they booed him, but Roger Goodell's not a terrible commissioner. He did a pretty good job last night. Um, he's not meant to be. He, his job is to protect billionaires. He's an attorney, basically. His job is not to be a personality that's public-facing. So Roger Goodell, I, I think, does a pretty good job. Rob, Rob Manfred, the guy, the commissioner of baseball, is like a thousand times worse. The stuff he got let the Astros get away with is ridiculous. And then, you know, the other thing I want to talk about, there weren't any technical errors. Not really. I mean, I'm sure there was a glitch or two. I didn't really notice any big ones. And I want to just give a lot of credit to the people who made the show happen. The NFL Draft was a phenomenal thing to watch. And the production crew that made it happen, well done. You guys killed it. Uh, it was really, really great. It felt really smooth. I mean, look, not perfect. I will acknowledge there were moments where a lot of pausing and you could tell there were some camera issues, yada, yada. But overall, the way we were sold that the NFL Draft was going to have all these problems technologically, it just was false. They, they figured it out. They were great. It was a good production. And if nothing else, it really... what. All those rumors that the NFL draft was going to have problems, it lowered our expectations, and the NFL met them and then exceeded them pretty easily. So good job by everybody who put on the ESPN, uh, NFL Network, the NFL as a whole, did a great job making the NFL draft happen, and it was phenomenal. Okay, um, we're going to start going through draft picks. We're going to go all the way through. We're not going through all 32 of them because there are two draft picks especially that I just, I'll mention them, but I don't really have a lot to say about them, and I don't want to pretend I know stuff I don't know, but I'm going to recap as much as I can and then give you analysis and give you my thoughts and react to the picks and tell you where they were, whether they were good or not, yada, yada. So I want to start with number one, the number one overall pick. With the number one overall pick, the Cincinnati Bengals drafted Joe Burrow, the quarterback out of LSU. And I've talked about the guy so much, it's kind of hard to remember what I even should say about him because I feel like I've said so many things. Um, but this was absolutely the right pick. He's an incredible quarterback. Literally, he had the best season ever by a college quarterback 
of all time. And I, I know this is a shocker. People are going to go, oh, what? But his film, Joe Burrow's film was better than Andrew Luck's film when I watched it. I just went, this guy's incredibly accurate. Uh, his work ethic is unreal. He mastered everything he could control, which I love. Joe Burrow said, my footwork, my accuracy, my everything I can control, my preparation, I'm going to master that and do the best I possibly can. And he was the most accurate quarterback I have ever seen on film. His ball location was off the charts. He was literally throwing people open downfield. I mean, 40 yards downfield, pinpoint throws on a line, making guys open. It was incredible. And he was begging teams to play man coverage. He said, do it. I dare you. I'll beat you over and over and over again. And he did. His understanding of coverages, his decision-making, they're both great. Joe Burrow was incredible at extending plays. His improvisation is great. It's kind of like he plays as if everybody around him is moving in slow motion. He just is so calm and so good at navigating the pocket, getting outside the pocket. He does his best work between the hash marks and the sideline, extending plays. Totally calm. Now, some people criticize Joe Burrow as a one-hit wonder. Because in 2018, I admit he was an average quarterback. And in 2019, last year, two years ago average, last year in 2019, got way better. Just massively Massively improved. But he also owns it. He says, look, he said in in an interview last night, Joe Burrow literally said, I wasn't great in 2018. I worked my butt off. I got better. And he improved. I don't know what to tell people who keep saying, he's a one-hit wonder. I don't know what to tell you other than the guy got better. Watch the film. He's a different quarterback. He's a much better quarterback. I've never seen a quarterback improve the way that Joe Burrow did last year in 2019. And then in all the big moments, in all those big games, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, the entire college football playoff, he rose to the occasion. He played better. He was great. Now, here's the question, though. Will the Bengals actually build around Joe Burrow? Bengals fans keep arguing to me. They say, we already have a good roster. Our roster's great. We have great pieces around Joe Burrow. We're going to win instantly. And that's absolute nonsense. They were the number one overall pick for a reason. People keep saying, remember, uh, the Bengals earned that pick because they sucked. They were bad. Now, I will acknowledge this. They're going to get left tackle Jonah Williams back from an injury, and they're going to have A.J. Green back from an injury this next year. Neither Jonah Williams or A.J. Green played last year. It's going to help their roster. That's two important impact players around Joe Burrow that will help. But offensive line is still going to be a big issue in Cincinnati. Don't pretend the Bengals are this incredible roster. Again, they were the number one overall pick in the NFL for a reason. Now, I believe Joe Burrow's mobility is going to help the team a little bit. The offensive line doesn't need to be as great as it did behind Andy Dalton because Joe Burrow can move around, can extend plays. But I want to say I do not envy the future Joe Burrow has ahead of him. He's not going to be able to turn around the Cincinnati Bengals by himself. It's just not possible. He's going to need help from the ownership and need help from the front office. Now, I will say this. Joe Burrow is incredibly resilient. My dad and I go back and forth on this. He, he I think my dad, I don't want to make... I don't want to make my dad look bad. My dad's pretty concerned Joe Burrow's going to get beat to a pulp and get discouraged. I don't see that. Joe Burrow's a tough cookie. And he's going to have a tough rookie year. But I hope, and I hope I'm wrong about all this, by the way. I hope Joe Burrow's incredible and kills it. But I think Joe Burrow's going to have a rough rookie year. But I want you to be patient. I want him to be patient. 
because Joe Burrow is going to get a year of film from his rookie year and go, okay, I have a year of film to watch and, and learn from. And now going into 2021, two years from now, he can go, we need to change this and this and this and this and this. Joe Burrow might need a year to learn. Similar to Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning's rookie year, he went like 3-13. and 13. I believe he set the rookie record for interceptions in a season. He was like ridiculously bad. But Peyton Manning, the next year, played much better because he looked at the film and he learned from it. The same could be true for Joe Burrow. If he has a bad year next year, don't panic. It's okay. He's going to have a bunch of mistakes on film that he can watch and learn from. Again, no disrespect to my dad. I didn't mean to make him look bad. If, if, you, have, if you hate my dad, you hate my dad. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. And we just had this long debate last night. I was, look, I think he's going to be okay because he'll watch film, he'll look at his mistakes, and get better and improve from them. Now, with the number two overall pick, the Washington Redskins drafted Chase Young, the defensive end out of Ohio State. Um, he's an incredible player. My buddy played defensive end in the XFL this last year. He says Chase Young is incredible. He can speed rush, which means he can run right by you, get around you. He can do a power rush or a bull rush, which means he can literally run you over, run, literally run right through you and get to the quarterback. He also has a, a huge impact in the running game. He's, uh, there's a guy named Brett Coleman I really, really respect. Brett Coleman is, in my opinion, I believe he's the best draft evaluator in all of America. Look, I, I can recognize how great he is at his job. It, it would be stupid of me not to listen to Brett Coleman because he's just a, a, like a wealth of wisdom. He's so smart. I know quarterbacks really well. That's my strength. I love quarterbacks. I know a lot about offense. He knows a ton of stuff when it comes to other positions, like the nitty-gritty stuff. I just don't have the interest in. I'm not as interested in positions like defensive end. Listen to Brett Coleman here. Brett Coleman says that (laughs) Chase Young is the best defensive end he's ever evaluated. I don't know about you. Brett Coleman knows football. I trust him. So it sounds to me like the Redskins hit an absolute home run here with this pick. They got a new stud pass rusher. It's going to be great. And they play in a division where they have three quarterbacks that need to get pressure on them. The Cowboys have Dak Prescott. The Eagles have Carson Wentz. The Giants have Daniel Jones. Having a good pass rusher in the NFC East really is going to help them. And so this is just a great job by the Washington Redskins. They got a great pass rusher who's going to have a huge impact. And, uh, I mean, some people even say he's a Hall of Fame defensive end. I, I don't know about that, but it's too early for that. But, man, um, everyone says he's incredible. I trust him. I trust my friends who know better. And, uh, you know, Chase Young, great draft pick. The Detroit Lions drafted Jeff Okuda number three overall. He's a corner from Ohio State. And, first of all, it's pretty crazy that the first three draft picks in the NFL draft were all players that used to play for Ohio State. Joe Burrow transferred out to LSU. But all three, Jeff Okuda, <laughs> Chase Young, and Joe Burrow, all at one point wore an Ohio State jersey. What did that, that says a lot about Urban Meyer, the guy who recruited them to Ohio State, about his ability to bring in great players and develop them. These were Urban Meyer's guys, and it's just incredible to me what he did. The fact the top three players in the NFL draft were all former Ohio State players under Urban Meyer. Ridiculous. Now, this was a great pick by the Detroit Lions drafting Jeff Okuda. He's a stud corner. He's likely a future pro bowler. He's very physical. He loves man coverage. He's got really good technique. He's going to help in the running game. And he's smart. He loves to jump routes, but he's also smart enough that he's not going to get bit and get beat on double moves. I really like Jeff Okuda. He's incredible. Uh, The best corner in the draft by far. This is a great pick all around. Good job. Well done. 
by the Detroit Lions. Smart, smart guy who, again, can jump routes and steal interceptions, but if you run a double move, he's not dumb enough to get beat either. He's got that, he's just really smart, a keen football player I really admire and respect and love watching. Number four overall, the New York Giants drafted Andrew Thomas, the tackle out of Georgia. Uh, I am not a Giants fan, but when they drafted an offensive lineman, oh my gosh, I lost it. I was so excited. I literally yelled out loud. I was so happy because they have a superstar running back, Saquon Barkley, and they have a young quarterback, Daniel Jones, and I am so glad they drafted an offensive lineman to support their young quarterback and their star running back. I love the direction the New York Giants are headed in. I think it's awesome. Uh, And I'm rooting for the new head coach, Joe Judge. He hired good coordinators. Uh, He's even like, it's interesting because Joe Judge's specialty is the special teams game. And he even hired a special teams coordinator. Joe Judge understands, I'm going to delegate to other people. I'm going to manage the team. I'm going to let other people have power. Uh, And I I just like that. I like Joe Judge's philosophy. I'm rooting for him. I love the direction the Giants are headed, and I think it's awesome. And I cannot say enough how glad I am that the New York Giants selected an offensive lineman. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. My voice is dead. I got it. I just, it's been 30 minutes already. I can't even believe it's flying by. Um, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about the Miami Dolphins. We're going to talk about, oh, Justin Herbert to the Chargers. We got a lot of stuff. We got like how many more teams? It's only four teams down. So many more teams to go through. I'm really excited, guys. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Uh, Let's talk about the Miami Dolphins. Now, Miami Dolphins have three picks in the first round of the 2020 NFL Draft. And I believe they nailed all three. I loved them. Number five overall, they drafted Tua Tungvaloa. He's a franchise quarterback. This was a huge move. It's a great pick. He's incredibly accurate. He's great at working through progressions from his one to two. But even what I really love is he goes to his third and his fourth option regularly. He's really good at getting to the backside. And now he got hurt in college. And it happened because he has a habit to not let a play die. He'll extend a play. He'll keep it going for a little bit too long. And the Dolphins need to help him with that. The Dolphins need to break him of that habit where he needs to stay in the pocket and then throw the ball away more often rather than keep extending a play a little bit too long. He's coming off of a dislocated hip injury. So mobility is a question with Tua. But here's the good news. You don't really want Tua running around outside of the pocket anyways. He's his best when he's in the pocket, throwing the ball around. He's great at throwing from the pocket. He's incredibly accurate. That's his best trait is his accuracy. And so I want to see Tua evolve into a quarterback who moves around in a five-yard radius within the pocket, a step to the right, a step to the left, a step up, a step back. He doesn't need to extend a play a bunch and run around. His game can be very happily and content in the pocket, moving around in that five-yard radius, occasionally extending a play. I'm not saying he'll never run, but I don't need Tua running the ball a lot. That's not what I even want from Tua. I want Tua in the pocket throwing the football. Um, And that's why his injuries concern me a lot less than other people. People are like, well, what about this? And can he run? He doesn't need to run. He's a quarterback. He needs to be able to step to the right or step to the left. He can do that. I've seen video of him literally doing that with Trent Dilfer. Um, And the Dolphins are in no hurry to play him. The Dolphins have a veteran quarterback who can play day one, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick is 37 years old. He's the plan for now. And Tua is the long-term plan for the future. There's no hurry at all 
to get Tua onto the field. And having Tua sit behind Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to make him a better quarterback in the long run. It's going to help him in the NFL. But I have two really important thoughts to me. Is that number one, Tua has been through a lot in the last couple months. He's, you know, he got hurt, which means he had to do a lot of therapy and recovery and rehab on his hip. And while he's been doing that the last couple months, Tua has heard nothing but people doubting him. Tua has had so much negative attention in the media. And I know from experience that adversity either makes you better or makes you bitter. I believe that the adversity Tua has been going through is going to make him a better man, a better leader, and a better quarterback. I want Tua even more because of the stuff he's been through in the last couple months. If he just won five national, what's possible, four national championships at Alabama, dominated the whole way, never had to deal with any struggle, I actually would be like, oh, well, can he? I'd probably still draft him. Of course, you're like, well, he's, he's incredible. But I actually feel even better because he's been through some stuff. He's been through some hard times and got through it. I love that about Tua. Here's the other thing Trent Dilfer has been championing Tua the entire time, shouting from the mountaintops, hey, Tua's great. Tua's incredible. Tua's the best. Trent Dilfer trains high school quarterbacks. He does the Elite 11 uh, high school quarterback camps. I actually worked with Trent Dilfer a couple times when I was in high school. And I was, look, I'm not, I was never an elite quarterback in high school. I was lucky to be around Trent Dilfer. But Trent Dilfer worked with incredible, incredible quarterbacks. I was there with Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. And Trent Dilfer has worked with Dwayne Haskins and Jameis Winston, Deshaun Watson. Literally all the best quarterbacks you've seen in the NFL draft. In the last couple of years, Trent Dilfer's pretty much worked with all of them. And yet Tua is the first quarterback ever where Trent Dilfer has come out and said, this guy is it. Trent Dilfer has never, ever done pre-draft workouts with any of the other quarterbacks. Now, part of that is he worked with ESPN before, and now he's a high school coach. He's got more ability and availability to go work with kids and go work with Tua. But the other thing is this, we've never seen... Trent Dilfer played that card before where he says, I know this kid. I've worked with him. I've been around him a ton. We've never seen him use and play that card before and tell Tua. Why has he chosen Tua to be the very first time he said, this is the guy I would do. I will say anything about Tua because he's incredible. Why is Trent Dilfer so willing to put it all in the line about Tua? It's got to say something to me. To me, it tells me if Trent Dilfer really believes in him that much and says he's that special of a kid, he must be. I'm all in on Tua. I really believe in him. I think he's great. And I think everything Trent Dilfer says about him has to mean something. Now, they got their franchise quarterback. Love the move. It's phenomenal. Number 18 overall, the Dolphins made another good move. They got Tua some help on the offensive line. They drafted Austin Jackson, a tackle from USC. Love that as well. Great pick. Not a lot more to say than that. If a team drafts an offensive lineman, I'm pretty much always like, hey, good move. You can't hurt yourself drafting more offensive linemen to make your team and help your quarterback. Now, they traded down four picks from 26th overall to the 30th overall pick. And 30th overall, they drafted a corner, Noah Igbon Ogany. I'm really, really apologetic if I screw up that name. Uh, it's Igbin Ogany, which is a, a go look at the spelling. It's difficult. I'm doing the best I can. I mean, no disrespect. He's a great football player. He's a corner from Auburn. And some people don't understand this pick because some people say, well, uh, the Dolphins already have two corners. They have Xavier Howard, which they gave a huge contract. 
They have Byron Jones, which they gave a huge contract to. They already have two corners. Why would they draft another one? People need to realize that NFL teams don't just play with two receivers, one on the right, one on the left. NFL teams have three, sometimes four receivers on the field at a time, which means you need to have a nickel corner, a guy, your third corner on the field to cover a slot receiver. Bam. That's exactly what this draft pick is for. Noah Igbenogmi. Igbenogmi. That's a, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to the guy. Look, it's I just a name. I, I, even when I was scouting, I, was like, I had no idea how to, how to say this guy's name. I apologize. I tried. I'm doing the best I can. I know I'm screwing it up. I'm so sorry. But I love the pick. He's a great player. Because the head coach for the Miami Dolphins, Brian Flores, loves to play man coverage. Which means they need not one corner, Xavier Howard, not two corners, Byron Jones, three. With Noah. I'm going to just call him Noah. Noah Ig. We'll call him Noah Ig. I don't know. I'm so sorry to the guy. I feel so horrible. I can't say his name. It's, I, I, I'm a, truly apologetic. But he's a great draft pick because he gives the Dolphins an ability to play man coverage and have him guard the slot receiver who's like a Julian Edelman type of guy in the slot. It's great. And I, I really believe that everything the Miami Dolphins did in the first round of the NFL draft, Tua, Austin Jackson, Noah, the corner from Auburn, they got so many players that are going to have a good impact on their roster, and they're just really, really carefully building a team. I just am such a fan of it. I think their culture is great. I think Tua is the right guy to be in Miami. He's a franchise quarterback. I don't know what else people want, and I really believe that the Dolphins absolutely nailed the first round of the 2020 NFL Draft. Now, uh, oh boy, uh, the Chargers. I, I am going to... I wish this was alcohol, actually, because I know I'm going to get trashed and killed for this. Um, oh, boy. Wish it was vodka. Um, <laughs> number six overall, the L.A. Chargers drafted quarterback Justin Herbert out of Oregon. And I want it to be very, very clear. I hope that Justin Herbert succeeds in the NFL. He seems like a good dude. I am not rooting for him to fail. I want Justin Herbert to make it. I hope he succeeds. Some people think I hate Justin Herbert. That's not true. I don't hate him at all. I, I think he's a great dude. I've heard nothing but good things about his personality. I hope he makes it. But I, I am not confident that Justin Herbert is going to succeed as an NFL quarterback. I've watched his film. I watched every single game he played last year. I'm from Oregon. I've watched a ton of Oregon games. I've seen Patrick Herbert. I've seen, what am I saying? Justin Herbert play a bunch over the years. Patrick Herbert's his younger brother. Slip, I don't know. It's 40 and Slip. I have no idea where that came from. Um, I even watched Justin Herbert on the sideline at Washington State in 2018. I was working for ESPN's college game day early in the morning. And then I got a sideline pass and watched on the sideline at Washington State when actually Justin Herbert lost to Washington State uh, in uh, Pullman, Washington. And I did a film analysis video about Justin Herbert because Justin Herbert has problems. It's really important. If you want to go watch a video, you can. But he's inconsistent. He struggles with accuracy often. He regularly is late on throws. He doesn't anticipate things well at all. And occasionally, I will admit, you see some flashes where you go, hey, that's a great throw. Wow. Great great run. Great throw. There are some moments where Justin Herbert looks good, but he's way too inconsistent for me, I, it's just too many red flags. He's average at extending plays. He's average at improvisation. He doesn't have any idea how to throw the ball with touch. Throwing the ball with touch means you take a little bit off the ball. If, there's a, if, you're, if I'm trying to throw to you 
and there's a person between me and you. I got to throw over the top of that guy to get the ball to you. He'll just try to throw the ball through the guy's head instead of throwing the ball up and over the guy. He has no idea how to take a little bit off and throw the ball with some touch up and over a defender. Every throw he throws is a fastball. It's really concerning. He doesn't know how to throw the ball up and over defenders. And here's what's even more concerning. Again, I'm an or- I-, I grew up in Oregon. I grew up in Portland, Oregon. I have seen so many Oregon games over the years. And for basically the last three years, Justin Herbert's been exactly the same quarterback. He's been making the same mistakes for years. Where is the improvement? It's a massive red flag that Justin Herbert hasn't been getting better from year to year, even from game to game. Occasionally you see a good flash, and then I'll go revert right back to it the next game. His Colorado game was incredible. And then you have a game where, like, you have other games where you're just like, what is happening? Auburn, uh, Arizona State. You're like, this is not good at all. Now, I will say, I want to give Justin Herbert the benefit of the doubt. He could succeed with the L.A. Chargers. He could. He's got great players. I want to say San Diego. It's not that they're now the L.A. Chargers. My notes literally say San Diego because I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> but they have a good running back. They have good receivers. They have a good defense in, in L.A. And if... Justin Herbert can be more accurate, and if he can speed up his processing of reading defenses so he's not late consistently, he could make it in the NFL. And the Chargers have Tyrod Taylor, a veteran quarterback who can play the majority of the year and allow Justin Herbert to sit and learn behind Tyrod Taylor. There's a situation here where Justin Herbert makes it happen, but my fear is not only that I think the Chargers are going to not be patient and probably play Justin Herbert too early— But even if he sits and waits, he might never develop because he's got so many problems and so many things he needs to work on. I just have major concern after major concern with Justin Herbert. And by the way, I'm not alone. Two other college analysts, two other football analysts who I really respect, I think they're two of the best in the business, are also concerned about Justin Herbert. Joel Klatt came out and said, I would not draft Justin Herbert in the first round. I was like, oh, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not alone here. And then Brett Coleman, another football analyst, came out and made a video about his concerns. And then another video where he, Brett Coleman made a video where he predicted the entire first round and said, I guess it wasn't a prediction, it was Brett Coleman saying, here's what I would do with the first 32 picks in the NFL draft. And Brett Coleman didn't select Justin Herbert in the first round. I'm not alone here. I'm not crazy. Justin Herbert has problems. Joel Klatt, me, Justin Herbert. I'm not, I'm not the only person saying this stuff. And again, for the record, I don't hate Justin Herbert. I don't think he's a bad person. I'm not hoping for him to fail. I hope I'm dead wrong. If I'm wrong, I'd be so happy because I want to see the Chargers fan base have a franchise quarterback. I want to see a guy who seems like a good dude succeed in the NFL. Justin Herbert seems like a nice person. But his film has tremendous problems, and I am not comfortable saying he's going to make it in the NFL. I just I see too many red flags, and I hope I'm wrong. But I am very concerned that the Chargers drafted a guy who might not be the right person for the job and might never develop into the franchise quarterback they want him to be. Okay, uh, oh, oh boy. Number seven overall, the Panthers selected Derek Brown, the defensive tackle out of Auburn. And he is perfect for them. He's a good pass rusher up the middle. He's good at stopping the run. But I don't think this pick was just about Derek Brown's ability as a defender. I think part of this is that The Panthers love the guy as a person, too. Remember, the Carolina Panthers have a new head coach, Matt Rule. They are trying to rebuild the Panthers' culture. They're trying to build a locker room with Matt Rule's type of guys. So this pick was both about, I think, Derrick Henry's ability 
and talent on the football field as well as they like the person who he is on and off the field. They like how he fits into their locker room. He hustles really hard. He gives a ton of effort. He wants to make the world a better place. They like not just his ability, but who he is. This was not a big flashy pick by the Carolina Panthers. They drafted a defensive lineman. It's not, again, not a big deal. But I think in the end, a, a big deal, I mean, it's not flashy. It's not CeeDee Lamb. It's not a quarterback. It's not a guy. I think most of America knows who he is. They're like, who's, who's Derek Brown? Like, my dad, I love my dad. My dad's a very casual football fan. My dad's never heard of Derek Brown, a defensive tackle from Auburn. But this is a great pick by the Carolina Panthers. They got a solid starter and a guy who's going to start setting the tempo for their locker room and building that culture under Matt Rule in Charlotte. The Arizona Cardinals drafted Isaiah Simmons number eight overall. He's a linebacker from Clemson. And many people say he's a a special talent. He's a crazy athlete. I think that what the Cardinals did is say, hey, he's the best player available. We have to take him. Now, here's how it really helps the Arizona Cardinals to have Isaiah Simmons on their team. Isaiah Simmons is great in man coverage and his athleticism. Being that great athlete allows him to be the kind of defender who can guard George Kittle from the 49ers. Remember, they play the 49ers two times a year. They need someone to guard George Kittle in man coverage. Oh, and by the way, they play Russell Wilson two times a year with Arizona. And Isaiah Simmons' athletic ability and speed sideline to sideline is going to help the Cardinals corral Russell Wilson, the Seattle Seahawks quarterback, because he loves to run around and extend plays. I am telling you, the Arizona Cardinals are building something. They got the right coach. They got the right quarterback. They got DeAndre Hopkins. They're now building their defense. And I I think Isaiah Simmons found the best possible fit for him, a team that really can use Isaiah Simmons to his best. Uh, Maybe this, I think that, I don't know if it's the best fit for Isaiah Simmons. I think Isaiah Simmons could have played anywhere. But if there's a team that needed Isaiah Simmons the most, given that they play in their division with a great tight end, a quarterback who can run around, uh, I think Isaiah Simmons went to the team that needed him the most. And this is a really, really great job all around. I'm really happy for them. And the Cardinals are a team to play, pay attention to, not play attention to, to pay attention to. The Cardinals, I believe, could be in contention for the NFC West Division Championship next year. The Seahawks, the, the, I mean, the Rams are down. I'm not that, I have no idea what to expect from the Rams. The 49ers are going to be good. But don't forget about the Arizona Cardinals. They could come out of nowhere and shock a lot of people because their team is massively better this year than it was last year. Okay, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars drafted two players in the first round of the 2020 NFL Draft. Number nine overall, they drafted C.J. Henderson. He's a guy from University of Florida. He grew up in Miami. He's a corner. He's really talented. Number 20 overall, they drafted Clavon Chason, a linebacker from LSU. I hope I'm saying that name right. I think it's Clavon. I don't know. Clavon is how I've been saying his name. I hope it's right. Um, C.J. Henderson has a couple issues. He's not a great tackler, but C.J. Henderson's really, really fast. That's what I like about him. I am concerned if there's a guy who might struggle, uh, the corners who were drafted, I think, were all pretty solid. C.J. Henderson's inability as a great tackler really concerns me a little bit. Uh, we'll see how he'll do. Now, Clavon Chason's a great athlete. He gives a ton of effort. He was a big leader in the LSU locker room, and I think this move is really, really huge for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They have an offensive leader, Gardner Minshew, They now have another guy on the defensive side of the locker room with Chase on, who's going to be a big voice in their locker room. He was great at LSU. Um, He's going to help in the run game. He's good in coverage. And I just love what the Jaguars are doing. They're building their defense. Now, 
I would have liked to see them build around their young quarterback, Gardner Minshew. But honestly, I'm just glad that the Jaguars didn't replace him. I was a little concerned, like, are the Jaguars going to draft Jordan Love or Dustin Hurt? I had no idea. So I'm glad that that sound, it seems to me like the Jaguars have decided to stick with Gardner Minshew and build around him. But I love Gardner Minshew. He's my favorite quarterback in the NFL other than Tom Brady. I love Gardner's work ethic. I love his leadership. I got to be around him a lot at Washington State. I think he's the right guy in Jacksonville. And uh, I, I think Clavon Chason, I, I know they drafted C.J. Henderson. I, I'm pretty lukewarm on him. Drafting Clavon Chason was a big deal. Um, I hope I'm saying his name right, but I, I just remember hearing so many stories about his leadership at LSU and the way he had a big impact on their locker room and helping them win a national championship. So I'm excited for J- the Jaguars. They got a really good linebacker later in the first round. I think it's a great pick. Now, number 10 overall, the Cleveland Browns drafted tackle Jedrick Wills from Alabama. This is a great move. He will likely be Baker Mayfield's left tackle. Uh, He's super athletic. Now, he was a right tackle on the right side of the the field for Alabama. But you have to realize Alabama had a left-handed quarterback who threw his left arm, meaning that his backside, his blind side, the blind side tackle was the right tackle, not the left tackle. For most right-handed quarterbacks, your blind side is the left tackle. So Jedrick Wills was a blind side, defend, blind side tackle in, in Alabama. He'll be that again with the Cleveland Browns. I think they're going to move him to the left side to be Baker Mayfield's blind side defender. Uh, excuse me. Uh, what do you call it? Lineman. Uh, I love the pick, though. I think the Browns really needed help on the offensive line. I think it's awesome. I love that they're building around Baker Mayfield. They have pieces now. Uh, I, I hate to say that the Browns are fooling me again, but I, I really like what the Browns are doing. I hope finally this is the year where their work pays off. I'm not a Browns fan, but I just want to see them turn it around. Um, everything the Browns are doing on paper, once again, seems good. Now the question is, can they have a culture that's good enough to win games? But I, I like what they're doing, and I'm glad they picked an offensive lineman to probably be the backside tackle to help Gardner Minshew. Uh, what am I saying? To help Baker Mayfield. Gardner Minshew. I was ta- I'm, look, I'm tired. I haven't slept at all last night. Uh, I was up literally all night. So I'm glad that the Browns got a left tackle, presumably, for Baker Mayfield. Number 11 overall, the New York Jets drafted Mikai Becton. He's a tackle out of Louisville. Um, I'll be honest, I thought the Jets were going to draft a receiver, but I will never, ever criticize a team for drafting an offensive lineman to protect their quarterback. I just think, philosophically, that's a great move. Uh, you're building an offensive line around a young quarterback, Sam Darnold. That's great. Now, Mikai Becton was the most athletic tackle in the NFL draft. Uh, he did have some weight problems, meaning he came in and had to learn and get into shape when he came to Louisville. That is a little bit concerning to me. But I think that, you know, some people said that he was the best tackle available in the draft. And in the long run, Mikai Becton could become the best guy. I don't think he's got work ethic concerns. I think he's great. Um, and I love the pick. I mean, some people would have preferred to have Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. But my belief is the Jets thought that CJ... That Becton was the guy with the most potential. They loved Mikai Becton. He had the most potential of the most the remaining offensive tackles in the draft. And you never know. Maybe they sat down in a room with him in an interview and just said, this is our guy. We fell in love with him. Uh, we got along with him great. I don't. Who knows what happened? But I'm just glad that from a philosophical standpoint, the New York Jets drafted an offensive lineman, a guy that's going to help Sam Darnold in the long run as a quarterback there in New York. Now, number 12 overall, Las Vegas Raiders picked receiver Henry Ruggs III from Alabama. 
He was the first receiver drafted of six that were drafted in the first round. Uh, I was so curious who was going to draft a receiver first and then which receiver was going to get picked first. So not only was it interesting that the Raiders were the first team to draft a quarter uh, a receiver, but Henry Ruggs was drafted before C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy, who, you know, I really had no idea who was going to go first, but it was interesting to me. They're all such unique players, and they all are so different. It's kind of hard to tell which one is the better of the few. But Henry Ruggs is a speedster. He reminds me a lot of Tyree Kill, the receiver from Kansas City, where he's just an insane athlete. He's 5'11", but he's a quick, speedy dude who can get away in a hurry. He had a lot of plays last year where he just outran people and made big plays. He's got a bubble screen for like a 75-yard touchdown against New Mexico State where he just made them look silly. So I, I, Henry Ruggs is an incredible athlete. He's going to make big plays for the Raiders. Uh, he, can go get, he actually can go get jump balls as well. He just athletically can do all kinds of crazy stuff. He's really explosive. And uh, another benefit that's going to happen with the Raiders having Henry Ruggs is already so fast that safeties are going to have to back up a step or two and give more of a cushion off the line of scrimmage, which means it's going to help the Raiders in the running game have more space to make moves and run the ball up the middle of the field. Uh, I'm just happy for the Raiders. It seems like they got a playmaker, a guy they really like. I think it's a great move. Now, the Raiders actually didn't have one first-round pick. They had two. 19 overall, the Raiders picked Ohio State corner Damon Arnett, a really physical corner, uh, a Gruden-type guy, a guy who's gritty, who's got that attitude and a little bit of swagger. And I think the Raiders believe he's going to help them compete with Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs offense. They wanted a guy who could come in and do great and do well. Um, I think Gruden just really liked the guy and really liked his style of play. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure John Gruden and uh, Mike Mayock, the general manager of the Raiders, watched this guy on film and said, you know, this is the kind of guy I want on my team and in my locker room. He's physical, he's aggressive. And some people are complaining that the Raiders picked him a little too high, but they picked him 19th overall. And, you know, most draft grades had him, you know, had this guy at, you know, early second round. What's really the difference between the 19th overall pick or like number four in the second round? I think it's just silly. People are like really splitting hairs. You never know. I think the Raiders needed a corner and they got the guy they liked who fit their mold and their mindset of a really physical, aggressive corner. And so I'm happy for the Raiders. I think it's a great move. And I think all around, the Raiders did a pretty good job in the first round of getting two players that are really going to help them next year uh, in 2020. Now the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers traded up one spot from 14th to 13th to get offensive tackle Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. Now some people are like, why would you move up one spot to get a player? It makes no sense. One spot, why would you move up? Because people, <laughs> if you love a guy, you got to go get him. You can't wait and take a risk that someone else is going to take him. The Buccaneers wanted to build an offensive line for Tom Brady, get an offensive line because they're building an offensive line for Tom Brady. And the Buccaneers were not screwing around. They did not want to risk losing Tristan Wirfs to some other team. And it was worth losing a mid-round draft pick to go get an offensive line, to trade up with the 49ers, to get an offensive lineman to help Tom Brady. I just love it, man. The Buccaneers are really making moves to support Tom Brady. First, they traded for Rob Gronkowski, and then now they've traded up in the draft to go get him an offensive lineman. It's just a message. It's very clear. Hey, the Buccaneers are not screwing around. We are doing everything we can to make sure Tom Brady gets the pieces and offense that he needs to go compete for a Super Bowl. 
Uh, I love it. I'm really happy what the Buccaneers are doing. That was a message and a statement they made last night by trading up to go get an offensive tackle. And I'm happy. Tom Brady, I think for a long time, didn't really get the support he needed around him in New England. And finally, he's getting the love and support and appreciation maybe he deserves from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. Uh, When I return, we'll talk about the 49ers. We got, man, the Broncos are coming up, the Falcons, the Eagles. We got so many things to talk about coming up, but I just need to rest my voice. Uh, we're, the, the recorder's a little bit longer than it really is. Probably we're 40, 50 minutes in. Um, I just need to rest my voice. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I want to now talk about the San Francisco 49ers because 14th overall, the 49ers drafted Javon Kinlaw, a defensive tackle out of South Carolina. Now, I'm not going to pretend I know a bunch about the guy because I don't. But what I do know is that they just lost defensive tackle to force Buckner to the Colts. And now it appears that they already have replaced him with a cheaper option in the NFL draft. And it's crazy to me that, you know, the 49ers have now drafted another defensive lineman in the first round. It's just pretty crazy to me what they've done over the years. In 2015 is when it started. They drafted Eric Armstead in the first round out of Oregon. Then in 2016, they drafted DeForest Buckner. In 2017, they drafted Solomon Thomas on the defensive line. And in 2019, Nick Bosa. Not to mention they added D. Ford, who's a former first-round pick from 2014. And now they've added another first-round defensive lineman in the first round of the NFL draft. And it's just ridiculous and pretty scary to me that, you know, their D-line led them to a Super Bowl last year. And they just might have reloaded and made it good again. And, you know, it was already great. Like, it was great. They lost to Boris Buckner. They were still great. They added another defensive tackle from the first round. It's pretty crazy to me how over and over again, the San Francisco 49ers have continued to invest and reinvest in their defensive line, building their team at the front. Um, It's just crazy to me. Now, it's interesting the way they built their team and keep building their team over and over again and finding a cheaper option at the defensive line rather than DeForest Buckner. You know, I was pretty disappointed that they didn't keep the group together when DeForest Buckner left the Colts. Now, they didn't keep the group together, but they did probably, it looks like, replace him with a cheaper option. I just I said that multiple times, but I just can't get over, like, are they really going to have still an incredible, incredible defensive line? It's just terrifying to think about. Now, the 49ers also drafted Brandon Ayuk, who's a receiver from Arizona State. They drafted him 25th overall. They traded up to get him, which is really interesting because the 49ers needed a receiver. And he was a big, you know, a big play threat in college. But he's raw. He needs coaching. He needs someone to develop him. Now, the 49ers are a perfect team to draft a guy like Brandon Ayuk and develop him because not only they have a good, uh, good coaching staff in place, I love their head coach, Kyle Shanahan. And I really like what the 49ers do, which is understanding the strengths of their players and adapting their offense to that. But here's what's really, really cool. The 49ers receivers coach is none other than Wes Welker. He's going to teach... Brandon Ayuk had to get the best out of himself. And I just think, man, Brandon Ayuk is in the best possible spot for him to develop as a receiver in San Francisco. And I think all around this was a really, really great move for the 49ers. Now, 15th overall, the Denver Broncos drafted receiver Jerry Judy out of Alabama. And I love this move so much. Uh, I'm so happy to see the Denver Broncos getting their young quarterback another weapon. It's just another example of them doubling down 
and helping their quarterback. Think about the Denver Broncos offense right now. Not only did they add more offensive linemen in free agency, they're going to get Juwan James back, the left tackle from an injury who was hurt last year. They signed a running back, Melvin Gordon, in free agency. Also, they have Philip Lindsay at running back, so two great running backs. They have Noah Fant, a young star tight end. They have already had Cortland Sutton at receiver. Now they have Jerry Judy. Now, to mention the Denver Broncos brought in, you know, Pat Shermer to be their offensive coordinator, they have done so many things to build around their young quarterback. And other teams need to look around at what the Denver Broncos are doing and take notes. If you want to build around a young quarterback, do exactly what Denver Broncos have done. Build an offensive line, got them two receivers, they got them two running backs, an offensive coordinator, a tight end. They have built so many good weapons and got so many weapons around their young quarterback, Drew Locke. And I did a film analysis of Drew Locke. He's the guy of the future, in my opinion, with the Denver Broncos. I just want to commend the Broncos. They've done such a great job. Well done. I'm so excited to watch the way they built their roster around their quarterback. And I just think, I can't say it enough, other teams need to do what the Broncos are doing with building an offense around your quarterback. It's just awesome to watch. And I'm so happy for the quarterback, Drew Locke. He's getting a world-class treatment uh, in Denver from the Broncos. Now, 16th overall, the Atlanta Falcons drafted a corner, A.J. Terrell from Clemson. Now, look, I get it. The Falcons needed a corner, uh, and I hope it works, but I'm not entirely sold on A.J. Terrell. He's got two issues to me that really stand out. Number one, he's super aggressive, and sometimes that causes him to get beat, and other times it causes him to have great success. Now, if you watch the national championship between Clemson and LSU, you know, he's playing for Clemson. He did have a good play. He had a pick six off Joe Burrow where he made a he jumped a route and made a great play. But he also got burned multiple times downfield, and that's exactly what I'm talking about, the risk versus reward. He takes a lot of chances, and sometimes he gets really badly burned, and you saw that multiple times in college. Now, number two, though, is that A.J. Terrell really loves using his hands. He's kind of grabby, and that means he's going to get penalized a lot at the NFL level. Now, he's not a lost cause. You can you know, coach him better and help him make better decisions and be a little less risky. You can coach him, have better technique, so he's not so handsy and doesn't get as many penalties in the NFL. So there is a chance that A.J. Terrell is a great corner. He could succeed. He's got potential for sure. He needs to improve if he's going to succeed in the NFL. So the question here is, can the Falcons help him improve so he becomes a great pick and not a bust for the Atlanta Falcons? Again, A.J. Terrell's got a lot of potential. Can the Falcons develop him? Now, number 17 overall, the Dallas Cowboys picked CeeDee Lamb, the receiver from Oklahoma. Now, the Cowboys had other needs. I I think they didn't need this pick. But my belief is that CeeDee Lamb was just too good of an option for them to pass on. Uh, You know, Jerry Jones was sitting there watching the draft going, CeeDee Lamb is here. We got to take him. We can't not draft CeeDee Lamb. And this had two, I think, important benefits for the Dallas Cowboys. Number one, it got their quarterback, Dak Prescott, a new weapon to have. You know, a lot of probably success with it's good for him and their offense. But number two is by drafting CeeDee Lamb, the Dallas Cowboys kept him away from the Philadelphia Eagles. Remember, the Eagles had the 21st overall pick, you know, a couple picks after the Cowboys, and they did pick a receiver as well. Now, in my opinion, the Cowboys got a better player, but imagine having to play CeeDee Lamb twice a year when you could have drafted him instead. I think the Cowboys made a great move. They got a playmaker, a really good receiver, and they kept him away from a division rival and kept themselves from having to play CeeDee Lamb twice a year. 
all around, I like this pick by the Dallas Cowboys. I think it's a great move. And uh, I, I'm glad they got Dak Prescott another offensive weapon. Now, number 21 overall, the Eagles drafted Jalen Ragor, the receiver from TCU. Now, honestly, this is not the guy I probably would have picked. Uh, I probably would have taken Justin Jefferson, the receiver from LSU. I was a big fan of Justin Jefferson. I thought he might have even been one of the top three receivers in the NFL draft. But I will say this. uh, I really, really respect Howie Roseman, the general manager for the Eagles. He's a smart dude. And you got to realize that Jalen Rager had a true freshman receiver at TCU, not a great quarterback. What am I saying? Receiver, quarterback. Jalen Rager had a true freshman quarterback, excuse me, at TCU. And so he had limited opportunities. He really didn't have his best year because the guy throwing to him wasn't probably the best possible option he could have had in college football last year. And it's pretty clear to me that the Eagles saw something they liked. And I respect the pick. I don't know if it's what I would have done. But I'm going to assume that Howie Roseman knows something I don't about Jalen Ragor. Um, you know, and here's another interesting tidbit about this is that Jalen Ragor played more outside receiver. And Justin Jefferson is more of a slot receiver who plays inside. And it's very possible the Eagles said, we want a guy who plays outside, not a guy like Justin Jefferson who plays inside. So I don't know. I think the Eagles wanted the guy who could win outside. I think that they picked a guy who maybe was less known, maybe more of an unknown but it's very possible that Jalen Rager works out, and the reason why people weren't as high on him was simply because he had a quarterback throwing to him who couldn't get on the ball, wasn't doing as well. And you remember, quarterback, excuse me, receivers are limited by their quarterbacks. If your quarterback isn't great, it's hard to do well. And Justin Jefferson had the best quarterback in college football last year, so to compare Justin Jefferson to Jalen Rager, one was limited by a quarterback, one of the best quarterback in college football. So I don't know if it's fair. I'm going to trust here that Howie Roseman knows something I don't. Now, number 22 overall, the Minnesota Vikings drafted Justin Jefferson, the receiver out of LSU. I love him. He's got a ton of body control. He's really good at adjusting to the ball in the air. Great receiver. Good pick. I like it. But I am curious, how does Justin Jefferson fit with the Vikings? And the Vikings now have two guys who can play inside, at least usually play inside. They have Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. How is he going to fit into their offense when they have two guys who play inside traditionally? Do they move guys? Do they move one of the two? Do they move Justin Jefferson out wide? Do they move Adam Thielen out wide? How's that going to work? I have no idea. But I will say that Justin Jefferson is criminally underrated. He's a great receiver. The Vikings got a good one for sure. But a really interesting tidbit about this is that, remember, the way that the Vikings got the 22nd overall pick was they traded Stephon Diggs away to the Buffalo Bills. And they traded Stephon Diggs away for the 22nd overall pick and went right around and drafted a receiver with the 22nd overall pick. Kind of interesting. It's clear to me that they knew they needed a receiver after getting rid of Stephon Diggs. And did they really, is, J, is Jordan Jefferson really better than Stephon Diggs, number one? That's a big question. And number two, it seems like the Vikings simply just didn't want Stephon Diggs in their locker room. It's, it's not that Stephon Diggs couldn't play. It's not that they didn't need a receiver. It's that the Vikings didn't want Stephon Diggs around. Now, to me, the reason is because if you paid attention last year, Stefan Diggs very subtly called out the head coach, Mike Zimmer, and his love of running the football. I think that's a reason why Stefan Diggs is no longer there, but it's just very, very interesting. Again, you had Stefan Diggs, traded him away for the 22nd overall pick, then used that 22nd overall pick to draft another receiver. That's just a message. Hey, we don't want Stefan Diggs around. Now, number 31 overall, the Vikings drafted corner Jeff 
Gladney from TCU. Uh, I remember watching, he's a great all-around quarter. I remember watching, when I watched Jalen Hurts play TCU, I watched uh, Gladwell, Gladney make a couple plays. The Vikings needed a corner, and they needed a guy who was really versatile. A guy who could play in the slot, a guy who could play press, a guy who could back off. Uh, a guy that can move around all over the field. And I think this is a great move for the Vikings' defensive schemes. It's a great move for Mike Zimmer. And when I look at what the Vikings did, they had two picks, and they got exactly what they needed. They got a corner that who fit their need, who fit their style of play, and they got a receiver, which is what they needed after getting rid of Stephon Diggs. So two picks in the first round for the Vikings, two players that they really needed and two positions that they needed. I think it's well done, and uh, good job by the Minnesota Vikings. Number 23 overall, the L.A. Chargers moved back up into the first round to draft linebacker from Oklahoma, Kenneth Murray. Now, the number one thing you need to know about Kenneth Murray and the number one asset he has in his game is his speed. This pick, in my opinion, was made as a direct response to the Kansas City Chiefs offensive success last year where the Chargers realized, hey, we need more speed on our defense to match up with the Chiefs. I love this move. He had a big impact last year for Oklahoma. He's a high-energy guy. He gives a ton of effort on defense. And what's interesting here is that the Chargers gave up a second-round pick and a third-round pick to get Kenneth Murray. Is he going to be worth it? I think so. I think it's a good pick. It helps them match up with the Chiefs. But if it doesn't work out, if they give up a second-round pick and a third-round pick on a bust, it's a big problem. But if it, if it pays off, if Kenneth, Mur- Kenneth Murray is a starter on the, in the linebacking core for the Chargers, if he's the player they need at 23 overall, then trading away a second-round pick and a third-round pick was absolutely worth it. All, all it hinges on is Kenneth Murray's success. But I think it's worth the risk because you got a starter on defense. And I think if you have a new starter on defense, it's completely worth the move to move up and go get him. 24 overall, the New Orleans Saints drafted Cesar Ruiz, a center from Michigan. Now, they already had a center, but it's pretty likely that they're going to move him to guard. Uh, and I love this move. Very similar to the Buccaneers going to get Tom Brady, an offensive lineman. The New Orleans Saints got an offensive lineman for Drew Brees. They're building their offensive line to help their future Hall of Fame quarterback. I love it. If you have a Hall of Fame quarterback or a future Hall of Fame quarterback, support him with an offensive line. line great move. Now, I also want to say that this pick, watching it on television, made me cry. Uh, ESPN talked about how years ago, Cesar Ruiz's dad died. And I'm sitting there with my dad and my girlfriend and we're watching on ESPN and it made me tear up. It made me cry. Uh, I don't know if I'm alone, but that moving story is one of the few moments during the NFL draft where I was like, man, like I, I, there was a point in the NFL draft. Where I'm like, I am tired of hearing other personal stories. Like the stuff they're talking about, this guy went bowling in second grade. And this guy was a, a really, I don't care about all the personal backstory. Are they good at football or not? That's what I want to hear about. But the Cesar Ruiz backstory where they talked about his dad and his dad dying was one of the few times during the whole you know, NFL draft where I went, mm. and I teared up and it got me. I was like, oh, this is sad. And it's hard to listen to a story about a guy losing his father. It's just brutal and sad. And I was sitting there with my dad, so I wanted to acknowledge that. It was a sad thing to hear and a really interesting part of the whole show. Now, number 27 overall, the Seattle Seahawks drafted Jordan Brooks, a linebacker out of Texas Tech. Now, he had a ton of tackles at Texas Tech. Uh, he's going to help Bobby Wagner on defense and linebacking core. He did have a shoulder injury in college. Uh, and I believe the Seahawks, the Seahawks in their mind and what their, their plan was here was they picked the best player available to them that could help them on defense. 
Uh, but for me, it was kind of frustrating because for a long time, I have been saying over and over again that the Seattle Seahawks need to support their quarterback, Russell Wilson, and build their offensive line. And I get it. Maybe the offensive lineman that the Seahawks wanted wasn't there by the time they had their draft pick come up. I mean, there were seven dra- offensive linemen drafted in the first round. But it feels to me like the Seattle Seahawks don't get it. Like, they don't understand and don't respect the fact that Russell Wilson needs help. They need to build their offensive line. There's no urgency in Seattle. It's really frustrating to me. Come on. Get Russell Wilson some help in building an offensive line. The fact that they keep drafting defensive players and all that. It's like, can you draft a lineman, please? Go get Russell Wilson the help he deserves. There's no urgency there. It's really frustrating. Jordan Brooks might be great. I have no idea. I don't know a lot about him. But the fact that the Seattle Seahawks, again, didn't draft an offensive lineman, they have, again, this entire offseason not went and gotten Russell Wilson better offensive lineman. It's like, oh, come on, guys. Please, please help Russell Wilson build him an offensive line. And, you know, there was another guy on the offensive line. The Titans drafted a tackle after the Seahawks had drafted 30th overall. The Titans drafted a tackle that the Seahawks could have had, apparently. Just bizarre to me. Very interesting. Come on, guys. Come on, Seahawks. You got to understand, if you're going to have a great quarterback like Russell Wilson, you got to support him and you got to give him an offensive line. Don't waste the best years of Russell Wilson's career with them running for his life because he has a bad offensive line. Now, number 32 overall, the last pick of the first round, the Kansas City Chiefs drafted running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And I think this is a great pick. It's kind of scary, actually, because... The Chiefs just won the Super Bowl, and yet every move they've made this offseason made them better. I think going into the 2020 season, the, the Kansas City Chiefs are actually a much better team than they were when they just won the Super Bowl last year, which is ridiculous and crazy. And that move, all those moves includes this pick. Um, you know, the Chargers don't need a crazy good running back to succeed next year, and yet they now have a crazy talented running back, Clyde Edward-Hilaire. Um, now, the part of the move that's not talked about here is that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was a first-round pick, meaning that rather than giving him a four-year contract, a player drafted in the first round of the NFL draft is allowed to have a five-year contract. So what that means is that, because you know the maximum contract you can give a second-round through seventh-round player is four years, the maximum contract you can give a person in the first round is a five-year contract, so... The Chiefs got a great running back, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and they're going to have him at a lower price for the next five years. They can pay him less money for the next five years on his rookie contract, which is going to help them manage their salary cap as they got to pay other players and keep players around and keep their really good roster going. But it's just crazy to me. I watched a ton of film with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because I was watching film with Joe Burrow, and he's got great vision. He understands when to make a cut and when to make adjustments at the line of scrimmage. He hits holes really hard. But here's what's really, really terrifying. I've said the word scary a lot about the Chiefs as I've talked about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. But here's what's really interesting is that he's a great receiver, which means now Patrick Mahomes has another receiving weapon on offense that they don't need at all. It's like, oh, crap. Are you kidding me? I feel so bad for defenses that have to play against Patrick Mahomes next year. They got a great running back. They got great receivers. They upgraded everywhere. It's just like, oh, my gosh. Poor defenses that have to play against. They were already going to struggle and now the Chiefs got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. It's like, oh my gosh, it's bad. It's real bad. It's a huge pick for the Chiefs. This deserves to be talked about more. I think it's a pick that no one's really talking about. It's one of the best values in the entire NFL draft was getting this guy who can really be a great receiving running back and not only that, can run really hard. 
And I mean, the Chiefs have so many offensive weapons already that adding Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is just unnecessary and really, really scary for NFL defenses. Okay, there are two picks I haven't talked about yet at all. I'm going to talk about them in a minute. Um, The Ravens drafted Patrick Queen, a linebacker from LSU. Uh, They drafted him 28th overall. I watched a ton of LSU film, but I watched all offensive film. Uh, I did see, uh, you know, Patrick Queen play three times. I watched the Alabama LSU game where I was watching Tua. I watched the Utah State game where I was watching uh, Jordan Love. I watched uh, what's the uh, uh, I'm thinking that watched Oklahoma when I watched uh, Oklahoma play LSU. But honestly, because I watched Jalen play LSU, but I will be honest, I was much more focused on the quarterbacks than I was worried about. You know, Patrick Queen. Uh, I don't want to make a ton of uninformed statements here. I, I try to be acknowledged when I don't know something. I don't know a lot about Patrick Queen. I'm sure it's a good pick. Uh, I, I think that Brett Coleman, another NFL analyst, did a video or talked about uh, Patrick Queen somewhere. But I just don't have a lot to say about Patrick Queen. I'm not going to pretend I know something I don't. I think it's a great pick. People are telling me it's a good pick. I don't have a lot to add here. They drafted another defensive player. Good for the Ravens. I, don't, I wanted to acknowledge that the pick happened. But I just don't have a lot to say here because I don't know a lot about Patrick Queen. And I want to acknowledge the stuff I don't know. The same goes for Isaiah Wilson. Isaiah Wilson was a lineman from Georgia, an offensive tackle. The, the Titans drafted him 30th overall. I mean, it's a good pick, I guess, philosophically. I, I'm never upset when a team drafts an offensive lineman. They, they have Ryan Tannehill. They have Derrick Henry. But I don't have much more to say beyond that. I don't have a lot of insight or crazy an- analysis because I don't know a lot about Isaiah Wilson. I didn't do a lot of study of him. And I just don't know. And I want to acknowledge the things I don't know. So 32 picks were made in the first round of the NFL draft. I have no idea who's going to fail and who's going to succeed. But it's going to be really interesting over the years to see which guys become busts. And who, who fails? Who doesn't make it? Uh, unfortunately, not every guy picked in the first round is going to be a successful NFL player if you look at statistically how things work. Now, I'm rooting for all of them. I hope I'm wrong. I hope, I hope every single one of the guys drafted has a 20-year career and becomes a Hall of Famer, honestly. I think it'd be cool. I'd be, we'd, we'd be like, can you believe it's the best draft class ever? They all made it. Um, but it's, it's not going to happen. You know, it's just There are going to be guys who don't make it uh, for one reason or another. Now, one of the guys I'm most wary of, if I had to pick one guy drafted in the first round yesterday who's going to be a bust. I think the guy who's most likely to not make it is the Oregon quarterback, the guy who went to the Chargers, Justin Herbert. Uh, I did film analysis. I've talked endlessly about Justin Herbert. I don't think he's ready for the NFL. He's got a lot of problems. Uh, Now, there's another guy, Jalen Ragar, who seemed like an odd pick by the Eagles. He got drafted. He's a receiver. But he also got to acknowledge that Jalen Ragar had a true freshman quarterback at TCU last year. And we never really got to see the best from Jalen Ragar because the guy targeting him and throwing the ball wasn't good enough. So it's just hard to judge how we did. But I'm going to follow up in three, four, maybe five years. We can revisit the 2020 NFL draft and look at which picks panned out and which picks failed. It'll be really interesting to watch, you know, see what happened and follow up on how people did. I, don't, I just want to know. I want to acknowledge not everybody's going to make it. I think I made it sound like every pick was great. And I think I was nervous about... Uh, you know, the, the guy that the, the Falcons drafted out of Clemson, that cornerback, because he's got some problems. He's got two things I need to, he needs to work on. Uh, number nine, the guy the Jaguars drafted, the corner. Uh, C.J. Henderson, I believe, out of Florida, has some problems tackling. 
Um, but I mean, other than that, I, I can't think of anybody right off the top of my head who might not make it. There were a bunch of offensive linemen picks. Surely they can't all make it as left tackles in the NFL uh, at a high level, but we'll see. But I just want to acknowledge, I don't know everything, and I'm sure some of the people I've talked about tonight aren't going to make it. And it's going to be really interesting to see which people do and don't make it over the course of the next couple of years following up from the 2020 NFL draft. Now, before I go into, I, I always do the same segment at the end of every single podcast. One of the last things I want to say, though, is this. We're going into round two of the NFL draft today. And where is Jalen Hurts going to go? Jalen Hurts is a quarterback out of Oklahoma. He's got this incredible story. He's a great leader. I, I think he's just a special type of human being who's going to make it. He's going to find a way to succeed no matter where he goes. Jalen Hurts is a dog who's hungry, who fights too hard to not make it in the NFL. Is it going to be the Saints? Is it going to be the Patriots? I think if there was ever a person designed in a laboratory to be a guy to play for Bill Belichick, it would be Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is the perfect Bill Belichick player. If the Patriots draft Jalen Hurts, oh my gosh, it'd be horrifying because I think he'd make it. I think he'd succeed. He's too, he works too hard. He's too diligent. He's too hungry. And he's too good a leader for him not to succeed if the Patriots drafted him. I have no idea where Jalen Hurts is going to go. But just be on the lookout. Where does Jalen Hurts go? I think he's going to make it in the NFL. I really do. I actually think I would have taken him over Justin Herbert, to be quite honest. Um, and the more I sit, the more I think about it, man. I just love, love, love Jalen Hurts. I want to speak the praises. I want to be very, very open about that. I love Jalen Hurts. I think he's going to make it in the NFL. And I would draft him in a heartbeat, especially a team like the Patriots or a team like the Saints. Like, If Sean Payton gets a hold of Jalen Hurts, Sean Payton, the guy who made Drew Brees what he is, and he gets time to work with Jalen Hurts who works his butt off, get out of the way. It's just really scary to have a guy as motivated who works as hard as Jalen Hurts go to a good coaching staff. Be on the lookout. Where does Jalen Hurts go in the NFL draft? I think he's going to make it. If I had to put money on it, I'd say Jalen Hurts is more likely to succeed than fail. And you don't say that about that about very many NFL prospects going into the NFL draft. So I want to be very, very clear. I love Jalen Hurts. I think he's going to make it in the NFL. Where does he go? All right, guys, my voice is dead. I haven't slept at all. <laughs> I am, I'm out, man. I, I need to take, I need to go. I need to sleep and I need to, I need to edit the podcast. I need to put it out and I need to go to bed. I, I'm just, my, my, I need to shave. My mustache is itchy. It's really awful. Um, but I want to end the show this way. Four years ago, my younger brother uh, took his life. He committed suicide. And it was obviously the worst thing I've ever been through my entire life. And, I, you know, it's just really, really terrible. And I want to just be very clear to people. If you're struggling, please go get help. Uh, my brother never told anybody he was having a hard time. No one knew he was struggling at all. And, you know, we came home one day and he was dead on the floor. And that's terrible. I don't want that for anybody. So I encourage you, if you're struggling, go get help. Go talk to a professional, a counselor, a teacher. Just go get help from somebody. Don't suffer in silence. Do not, you know, tell, make sure people know that you're having a hard time and go get help. If you really have nobody else you can talk to, if there's nobody you can turn to, then call the suicide hotline 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255 is a suicide hotline. If you have nobody to talk to and you need a last resort, call the suicide hotline. And number two, the second thing I want to say is that make sure the people in your life know how much you love them. Make sure they know you care about them and make sure the people in your life know they can talk to you. You know, I didn't do a good enough job with my, with my younger brother making it clear to him that if he was struggling, he could come talk to me. If he was having a hard time, 
he could come have a conversation with me and I could help him. We talked about girls and video games and movies and sports all the time. We never had a really in-depth conversation about life. And I regret that so much. So make sure the people in your life know you care about them, give them hugs, tell them you love them and make it clear to them that if they're having a hard time, they can come talk to you guys. My name is Zach Schaumler. Oh boy. I am dead. I'm ready to go to bed. I, uh, I haven't slept. It's uh, now 8.06 the next day. So I, I haven't slept for over 24 hours. It's uh, it's time to go to bed, guys. My name is Zach Schalmer. I'm going to edit the podcast, put it out. I hope you have a great day. Hope you enjoyed listening to the show. I feel like I got pretty lispy at the end. I, I'm just sorry. I'm doing the best I can. I haven't slept, and I'm, I'm really trying to make quality content in a timely manner for you guys. And so I just, just want to say thank you so much for listening, for tuning in. I hope you have a great day. But I'm bum. Bam. We are done. Oh, and stay safe, please. I know the world is a crazy place uh, right now. And uh, please stay safe, stay indoors and uh, love you guys so much. Have a great day. Bam. We're done.